Welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. Ayla, who are you? And I'm Ayla. Ayla, welcome to the show. Just before I started talking with you, Stephen, I asked uh, Ayla if it's okay if we talk about a poll question that she put up recently because she has so many. Do you follow Ayla on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter. Oh, well, you don't have to be on Twitter to like go to somebody's Twitter feed and see the cool stuff they got. I haven't been to Twitter.com in a long time. Okay, well, she has some amazing all the fucking time, and uh, there was one right after the FTX thing happened, which I'm assuming was because of the FTX thing? I don't think so, actually. I mean, it might be uh, very indirectly related, like people were talking about utilitarianism more than normal. And that inspired it? Yeah. I had my faith in humanity... Well, I had my some of my faith in effective altruism crushed a little bit by this poll, so I wanted to talk about it. As far as Ayla's polls, I think we mentioned them before, but I was on Two Psychologists, Four Beers. Was that mm-hmm. a show that you're on, Ayla? It sounds familiar. I forget what I've been on. It, I, I think it's probably been a bunch, but I think this one, they, they talked a lot about like the your like data analysis tools that you've kind of developed that are I don't know, outside the stuff that gets published in journals. So I'm familiar with the, with the cool stuff you do, uh, but I don't see it on Twitter. I guess what I'm saying. So Be- Not being on Twitter is like a good mental health move. That, that was why I'm not <laughs> yes, on Twitter. It is. And yeah. before we do that, I have one quick question that you might actually be well posed to answer. Do you happen to have a ballpark estimate for how many people might say they are quote unquote rationalists? Uh, like if, if this was a political faction, you know, like is it 500? like 500 people? Really? Or 500,000? <laughs> okay. This podcast is small, does not have, you know, huge reach or anything, but it's about 2,000 people. And I just assumed that only rationalists listen to it. And if there's only 500, then I guess some non-rationalists are listening to it, too. It probably depends also on what what you mean by identify as rationalists. Like, a lot of people are, like, kind of around the circles. Like, I was talking to one person who's like, do I count as a rationalist if I've read all of the things, but, like, never have engaged with the community? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, like, kind of unclear. Right. That's a good point. And the questions may be all posed. I I guess I was thinking, like the kind of people who read some of the things and like some of the stuff that might be more uselessly vague in the other direction. I guess I was trying to get a sense of scale. It's probably one of the SSC polls or something like an extrapolation for how many people read that or whatever. Right. Yeah. Didn't Slicer Codex get like 8,000 responses on the last one? I, I somehow forget. thought that we were, that there weren't just literally tens of us. I thought that, I thought that it was <laughs> going to be in the hundreds of thousands, but I mean, it was at least multiple thousands on the SSC poll. And there's a lot of people that don't identify as rationalists, but, you know, are familiar with the movement and have adopted a lot of the terms. The school of thought is somewhat influential, even on people who don't consider themselves rationalists. Yeah. And even like on the poll thing, you know, like I've been doing this podcast for years and years, but I have think I've done that poll one year because I keep forgetting to, right? So, mm, yeah. All yeah, right. There's probably a lot more. It's been weird, like just seeing certain terms like steel man go wide in popular discourse and like nobody knows where it comes from except for us. And I'm like, that's, that's so crazy. I'm seeing Mott and Bailey come out more and more too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially with like Julia Galef and like Will McCaskill and stuff recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when I was was thinking 500 to a thousand, I was thinking of like how many people are in the rationalist network that I could like maybe tracked on on Facebook if I looked really hard. Oh. That sort of thing, like affiliated, like working at one of the companies or like going to the meetups or like if I went to a random city to their rationalist meetup, like how many people would be going to their meetup and like add them all up from around the world kind of thing. Yeah, I was definitely thinking okay. more of the latter. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, all right, thanks for indulging me. Let's talk about this, uh, whatever the current poll was. 
But to hear that, you have to be one of our subscribers on Patreon. If you want an extra 10 minutes of content where we talk about a poll where people can push a button to murder others for money, there is a link to our Patreon and to this specific extra content in the show notes. Now, back to circling. Uh, <laughs> we, are <laughs> we are here today because of a thing called circling, which I actually know nothing about. So this is going to be one of those rare episodes where... I am learning everything and, I guess, asking the questions. Uh, I do vaguely recall that, was it on the frame control episode that Circling first came up? We were on mic with you. I was on mic with you for something. And I became very uncomfortable about this whole Circling thing because it was getting way personal. And uh, I wanted to know more about the Circling, but in a safe environment. And I, I guess this is as safe as environments get. I don't know. What made you uncomfortable about Circling? You know, it's been a while now. I don't entirely remember, but it kept feeling like people were trying to pick apart all my defenses and figure out who I am on the inside. Oh, yeah. Ayla, what the heck is circling? I don't know, man. I'm not like a circling expert. I have s some friends who are like really, really, really into it and would probably be better at talking about it. I have, I've circled like maybe around 100 hours is my estimate. So I'm like, you know, not a newbie, but if it were a video game, I'm like kind of good at it. It's basically you sit around a circle and then you talk. Well, okay, I like to say rules and they're kind of rules uh, that are really more like guidelines. It's kind of like if you're learning to dance, you might have like very specific techniques that they tell you to do. And dancing isn't about those techniques, but those techniques like help you learn some sort of muscle movement that like gets you more into the spirit of the thing you're trying to do. So like the rules aren't actually circling. The rules aren't a requirement, but they kind of help point you in the direction of what it's supposed to feel like. And there's like five principles, which is like stay at the level of sensation, you know, uh, commitment to connection, all this stuff. But in my opinion, you sit in a circle, you talk about the present moment, you don't put stories on other people as much as you can, and you try to stay inquisitive and connected. So it's a lot of like, how are you feeling about that? Or um, what are you feeling in this moment? Or like, oh, I noticed you did this thing. What was that about? Those sort of moves. When you say oh. you don't put stories in other people, do you mean that like when you notice something that catches your attention, you ask what was going on there rather than assume that you can guess it correctly? Well, I mean, you can you can guess. You are encouraged to guess. But there's like um, – I I spoke a little poorly. Like the difference is if you offer up your interpretation of what's going on, you have to be clear that it is yours. So you, you can't be like, ah, you're doing this thing. I see it. Right? Like this would be sort of just like putting the story onto them. But you can be like – Ah, I, I have this interpretation of the thing that you're doing. And I, if you're being polite, you would check and be like, is, does this feel like it resonates with you? And you don't have like a topic that you come in on first. You just kind of sit and observe each other. Yeah, it's really horrible. It sounds kind of awful. You've done something yeah. you hate for 100 hours. It's hardcore. Well, it, well, it's only awful at the beginning. Like if you're lucky, somebody will start crying fast. And then you're like, oh, thank God we have something to pay attention to. <laughs> what the fuck? Why Why would someone start crying fast? I don't know, like my first circle, I cried almost immediately. Why? Um, I was like, my friend was like, you want to try this thing? And I was like, sure. And so we walked there. But also in my life, I was going through like a breakup kind of around this point. And like, I just had a long conversation with my friend about going through this breakup. And I was like, really emotionally heavy. Because I was deciding like, should I do it? Should I pull the trigger? And like, I th th this conversation was making me think like, yes, I should. I should really break up with this person. And I was like, I just wanted to have a ball. But then like, we got to the circling and I sat down and I wanted to cry so bad, but I was just like, hey, like, chill out, just hold it in, just sit there and observe. And then as soon as like the attention came around to me, I just started crying. Oh, okay. So that wasn't the fault of the circling. No, I mean, everybody just put their attention on me and asked me what I was feeling. So I was like, well, 
Uh, so it kind of was like if it were a normal conversation or people talking about like AI or something, I probably wouldn't have started circling. So, I mean, crying. And then after I started crying, some guy was like, I'm bored at me. <laughs> wow. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, uh, that, I think that was what really got me. I was like, wow, I've never been in a situation where somebody would just say something so honest and like impolite to a stranger. Like it totally violated every social rule I knew of for them to do that to me. That's like got me addicted. I was like, fuck, I want to know what it's like to violate every social rule. Wasn't that insanely rude? Like, I, I'm not sure I would want to circle with someone who'd like, someone starts crying and they're like, I'm bored of this crying. I, I didn't mind it really. Like, because I felt a little embarrassed that I was crying in front of a bunch of people who were just silently staring at me. And it was almost relieving in a way to have somebody like, because like when you're sitting there like crying and having this experience and you're feeling self-conscious, like the, you're having some fear, like, oh, am I taking up space? Like, are people like mm. quietly like letting me do this? But like, there's not, they're not allowed to tell me if they're actually feeling bad. There's no way to check to see if this is okay. But like when yeah. somebody said, I'm bored, it suddenly made me realize like, wait, like I can trust the people here. Huh. I can trust them to actually give me the negative feedback. And so when it's positive, I can, I know that they're not just saying it to be polite. And yeah. it was like a deep reassurance and relief. All right. Like the Simon Cowell effect. How many people were there? At the circle, maybe like 12 or so. Is that too many people to have an effective circle? It's hard to have a conversation with 12 people, right? Well, it depends on like what you mean by effective. Like, like ultimately the point of a circle is for you to be present yourself. And so you can go, you can circle with people who aren't circling. Like the goodness or badness of a circle is really a personal thing. Um, I do agree that there is something like really uh, fantastic and unique things happen when all of the participants are very skilled. But 12 is, isn't bad if you if they're skilled. Is the focus always on one person at a time? No. In practice, like usually one or two people are talking at a time. But I, I've seen circles that devolve into like a bunch of small groups or people like rolling on the floor. Wait, why is there rolling on the floor? Why not? Well, okay. I guess that's fair. Like if somebody wants to roll on the floor, like they could just like once I I led uh, like a bunch of newbies in a circle and we all sat down and everybody was like sitting in exactly the same way, like it wasn't really that comfortable. I noticed I I really wanted to lie down, but I wasn't really allowing myself to notice that I wanted to lie down because everybody was sitting in a circle very politely with like backs up straight, facing inwards. It's like there's this unspoken social rule that you're supposed to be holding the same body language as everybody else who's present. And if you violate that, you're drawing attention to yourself or like performing some sort of signal in some way. So there's a lot of encouragement or at least permission, if not encouragement, encircling to to break those social norms. Be like, ah, I see you're all sitting. I want to lie down. So I'm going to lie down. Oh, okay. So this almost feels like a mystical thing that I'm asking about. And it has this crazy mystical term like circling. When you said rolling on the floor, I immediately jumped to people being possessed by the spirit and <laughs> speaking in tongues and rolling on floors. That's the first thing I thought of too. Okay. But not, not that thing though, necessarily. No, just, sorry. Just if I, I just meant like being weird, you know? Okay. Yeah. And I'm I think done with being weird. That's actually, well, what's cool about that is, like you said, you, you, you're thinking, man, I'd rather lie down right now, but I can't because no one else is and that'd be weird. But then you, you're like, wait, hold on. There's no, there's no rule. There's no law. I, I, hey, you know what, everyone? I feel like laying down. I'm going to just do that. And yeah. being, being in a situation that free and welcoming, I think is actually has a certain level of relaxation around it. This strikes me as kind of like, um, I guess you don't have to be abiding Crocker's rules to participate, but if the guy that says, hey, I'm bored at your crying, like that still strikes me as a really rude thing to say. It makes me think of the distinction with like radical honesty of like, I'll be honest or I will be honest to the first negative thought that comes to mind, even if it's like 
imprudent to to share it. When you say rude, do you mean like you're perceiving that his intent is to harm? I guess suppose it depends on the context, but like I guess because everyone entered into this this circle style of conversation with knowledge of what they were getting into, or at least some. Like if it was somebody on the bus, you know, that like I I didn't know and they're crying. If I just said like that's boring, I'd be an asshole, right? Yeah, and a liar. Yeah, and so but if it's like hey, let's all hang out and we're all gonna you know be honest, and open with each other, then yeah, that guy's just expl- expressing how he actually feels. I think there's a value in that. It and it kind of makes you wonder what he's delivering to the value, like. And, you know, maybe I'm just a different kind of person. I'm more curious, right? If I was going to be narrating my feelings at the time, I'd be like, I'm curious what's going on. But that doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that boredom is like a less valid feeling. I guess it's just one that I isn't really related to what I'd be thinking about. Maybe yeah. unless it was like minute 30 of the crying. And by that time, I may be getting bored, right? Yeah, that's one of the cool things about circling is I think I, d- I didn't understand the degree to which other people's internal worlds were different from mine until I went circling because like there like in normal social scripts the scripts handle a lot of the weight for you like somebody says a thing and then you sort of default assume that everybody kind of understands the reaction to it a common thing in circling is somebody would say something that i would find like pretty cringe in normal life when this happens i find it a little cringe and i just assume everybody else has seen what i see and like also kind of cringes but in circling, you get to hear what everybody actually thinks about like a really minute thing. And I was shocked to find that people had wildly different reactions to me. Like, I would be so deeply moved by like the most genuine expression of love and care. And somebody else would be like, fuck you. Or like, somebody oh. would be bawling on the floor. And I would be feeling like incredibly bored. Like, how could you not be bored by this? They're obviously like begging for attention. Like, this is just a performance thing. And like, somebody else would be like, that would be deeply moving to them. And I'd be like, I did not actually properly appreciate how different people are it was really humbling so when this is happening in real time do people go around in the circle and one by one declare how they're feeling or is it just whoever wants to talk talks no it's anarchy i mean there's different kinds of circling but my favorite and the one that i'm mostly talking about which is like flow circling or surrounded leadership is just complete anarchy so everyone just says what they're feeling all the time just well it's you can do what you want It's, it's like the term is surrendered leadership which is basically that like everybody is a leader. So if you decide that you want to move the circle in a certain way or move the attention, you can do that. Everybody has the right to do that. And then you get to like really interesting meta loops around like, ah, I noticed that like I want to have the attention go over here, but like I'm not sure about how people are going to think about me if I do this or what this means for the group or if I have the right to do it. And then you can like talk about that, the meta thing, and then people would have their reactions to the meta thing. Is there any talk about anything concrete or is it because it it almost sounds like I want to move the conversation over here. And then you talk about the wanting to move the conversation without actually talking to what the conversation is wanted to move to. I mean, you could say that in the circle. You could be like, ah, I feel like just then fucking move the attention. Like, why did you have to say that? Like, that's a you can do that. But in the way that like everybody sits in a circle and you don't notice that you actually want to lie down, there's a way that like circling to me personally, the value of the practice feels like noticing that that phenomenon, but but like in social interactions all the time of what's permissioned or not. Like if somebody's like, I just want to move the attention, and then you think like, oh, I'm supposed to say like ask about that want, but like, oh, I didn't realize that there was a move available to me, which is being like, then just move the attention. Or like you move the attention yourself because you're trying to help them or something. Like you, you, there's this bouncing up and down between like meta levels to like actually doing the thing, which is like I'm interesting to watch. I'm having a hard time imagining not just having insane amounts of FOMO because I feel like 
everyone would want to talk about all the things all the time. And I can only listen to like maybe one other person at a time. And I want to know what all 12 people are thinking. Yeah. That's true. In, <laughs> this, that's true in any conversation with more than two people though, right? I guess, but it's different when like there's a certain topic you're constrained to and your thoughts are on that topic rather than just like anything that is felt by anyone. I mean, in normal conversations, it can be about anything. But like similarly in circles, like you, it tends to be like one thing is surfaced for the group. It's like a common thing that people try to do, which is like notice what the group's energy is like as a whole. Like if we view the group as a unified thing with each person, like bringing an important part, what, what if we treat it as a single organism? What is it saying? And often that organism can be like be on a topic. Like it might be like, ah, the room is feeling like really tense and avoidant tonight. Or there's like a lot of like joyful, playful atmosphere. And like, then that becomes the topic. Is the topic always a meta topic about the group and its energy itself? Or is there ever topics about like, I don't know, the popular thing on TV that week? I think it is possible in good circles to talk about the thing on TV. Um, but I think it is difficult to do this in a way that I would consider aligned with the spirit of circling unless you're very high skill. I would in general, like recommend against talking about object level things if you're new. So a lot of it is talking about the process of talking and relating with other humans or just the way that you feel in it yeah neat i think that's the key that i really like and this is where so my my total exposure to this is a 10 minute post i read on less wrong called circling i feel like this is something i try to do with some intentionality at least some of the time and definitely do on purpose sometimes which is you try to be aware of your actual like what you're actually feeling as it's coming up about the conversation the context I'll notice, you know, sometimes if I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'll think the thought like, man, I'm, I'm distracted and I shouldn't be, you know, I wish I wasn't distracted right now. And then I'll be aware that I had that thought, which is on a level of distraction. I, I think that's actually useful to have that level of awareness. I, I don't know how helpful it is maybe in random conversations, but it seems like a kind of just mindfulness. I, I know that's not the entire game, but that seems like part of it. It's almost like mindfulness meditation for a group rather than for an individual. Yeah, it's very much like huh. group meditation, I would say. Which is interesting because I, after I did a bunch of circling, I was like, wow, people who meditate a lot must be really good at this. Uh, and then I went and I circled with some people who are like very experienced meditators. And then I found that they were not actually, I mean, they were like fine at it, but like not like didn't seem to have any particular advantage, which is really interesting. I would have expected the skills to translate more. Isn't half the purpose of mindfulness meditation to quiet a lot of your inner thoughts? I think, I it's, just, I think it's just to be aware of them. Like for the most part- like, People have inner thoughts and they don't realize that that's what they're experiencing. They're just running with the train, at least the way that I historically have done it. And I'm not that practiced at it, but I, I got to the point where I'm, I, I could summon an awareness of my thoughts as they're coming, where, when they started, where they went, rather than just, you know, have you ever had like, you realize you've been pissed for the last half hour and then you're like, why am I so mad? Did, like, oh yeah, I've been ruminating on this thing for the last 30 minutes. For me, mindfulness is not getting lost in thought that way. Huh. Okay. I must have completely misunderstood mindfulness because I just had always assumed it was the process of trying to clear your mind of the self-referential meta thoughts. I think some meditations are like that. There's a lot yeah. of different ways to meditate. Yeah, 100%. Okay. I should clarify, I've done exactly one kind and I can't remember what it's called. What I like about it is you can only really clear your thoughts if you're aware of them. So at least this is like the first step to that. If you wanted to do this for the first time with a group of people that you already kind of know, but you've never done this before, what would you recommend how to do your first circling? I would go find somebody who's done it before. The ideal thing I would say is go find a group of very experienced circlers and then just go observe. 
or participate. There's like sort of a magic thing that happens if you like kind of cross the threshold of people who are kind of good at circling. Like you don't have to be super good, but if you're like kind of good at circling, there's like a kind of vibe that that can occur that's really beautiful. And if you have like a lot of newbies, often it's difficult to achieve that. I've seen the experience of a lot of new people try circling all at once and there's too many new people. And then it just, it's hard to see the value in it. You're like, okay, why are we sitting here doing this? This feels stupid. And then you don't try it again. Um, That's exactly how I picture it would go if me and two random friends tried to do this. We would give it a good earnest two minutes of effort. And then one of us would say, you know, I'm not really seeing a lot of value in this and I'm finding it all kind of awkward. I think I might be done with this. And then like to be like, I think I agree with you. <laughs> oh no, uh, that's super disappointing. Well, but but that's, I don't... that's why you need to have a, a someone who's been there and done that to help kind of shepherd it in a conductive way. I guess I'll ask at our less wrong next meetup if anyone's done this because now I kind of want to try it, but I mean, I haven't and you haven't and no one's really talked about it. R- rationalists are kind of bad at circling. Like not all of them, but I, I went and I circled with a bunch of circlers originally and then after doing that a whole bunch, I went to circle among rationalists and it was a very different experience. Like very, like even there, even with rationalists who like I would consider more embodied and had experience with circling, but the circle why, why? platform is great. You can do it online. I don't, where are you located? What city? Denver. Denver. Oh, Denver is the birthplace of, of circling, I believe. Or maybe, not, maybe not, maybe not circling, but like the authentic relating, like there's a huge circling community there. Oh my god. Well, I guess I'm in the right place then to check this out. Authentic relating, you call it? Yeah, I think they might not be there anymore. I'm not sure. There's probably still. But if if they don't have it in Denver anymore, the Circle Anywhere platform is on Zoom. And it's a lot of people who go are really good. I'm going to admit to gross ignorance here. Because I had first heard about circling through, I think, possibly you or a another rationalist, rationalist adjacent person i had assumed it somehow had come out of some corner of rationality i was not aware of you you are saying that this has originated somewhere else entirely yeah i'm not totally sure about the birthplace it was like there's there's right now there's two kind of organizations there's like circling europe and then uh the circling uh, something here in the u.s it's mostly got it started i would say maybe around 10-ish years ago and the CFAR people found circling several years ago and then circling kind of infiltrated the rationalist community through there it just seemed like such a meta thought process oriented or thinking about thinking kind of thing that I assumed rationalists would be all in on it. Why are they so bad in your experience? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, because uh, rationalists are so good at thinking and like rely on thinking so heavily. I think it's like very um, unnatural for them to do circling, which is like a little sad to me because to me, uh, circling and, and rationality feel very much like spiritual siblings. Like the way yeah. that rationality transformed my ability to think feels very similar to the way that circling transformed my relationship to like understanding my emotions or like interpersonal stuff. Like, like there's a way a lot of hippie shit is like shitty because it feels like kind of aversive to actually looking at what's going on in the same way a lot of intellectual traditions feel kind of shitty because they're they're not actually focused on trying to figure out what's going on and both circling and rationality share the core goal of trying to actually see what's happening and like get out of your own way to see it i'm I'm determined to give this an earnest effort one of the, the things that came up a lot i was in therapy a lot for like the last i stopped going in the summer but it was there for like i don't know i probably went like 60 times in a year or something I found it productive and and helpful. And my therapist was chill as hell. And I think we had a good rapport. But she remarked, I think she said that like I was I was too thinky of a person. Like not, not not too thinky in general, but like when, you know, trying to address feeling stuff. And I was like, but I've literally like cried in here. And she's like, Yeah, but like and it's hard to pin down, but I think I can kind of 
see what she was gesturing at. And maybe this is the difficulty if I'm going to go ahead and just generalize to the, the rationalists that you're, that were having trouble with this. Yes, I know exactly why I'm sad. It's these particular feelings. And it's like, you know, it's probably more than that, actually, right? And maybe maybe if I spent some more time introspecting at it properly, I could figure out what it is rather than be like, well, it's this thing. Yeah, you're developing a model of your, your grief, which is different than feeling the grief. That's definitely true. I want to understand it, figure it out, and then defeat it. But <laughs> And you're correct, so- it, it was actually grief. This post on Less Wrong prefaced it with a way that's saying this is hard to describe. A lot of like how people like talk about drug experiences, although they don't say that. Is it possible to, to give any examples of like what made it weird doing this with rationalists as opposed to people who had done this before? Oh, well, I mean, it's not weird. It's just like the rationalists would do models to a degree that I was surprised by. Like I thought that maybe the rationalists would I don't, I don't know why I was surprised. Uh, because it's like a, like a really easy technique like to fall back on. If, if you're uncomfortable or if something's going on, like in order to engage with it, you develop a model about it. You're like, here's like my theory of what's going on, which is fine, right? But like this is a little bit of a different thing than like paying very close attention to your sensations in the present moment. I think the temptation of a good model is like harder for a rationalist to put down. So you're supposed to try to avoid modeling or at least not do it very much? Or at least be present with your modeling if you are doing it. Like if the thing that's happening for you is you're modeling really hard, you can be like, ah, the thing that's happening for me is I'm modeling really hard. But then you're present in it, right? Like it's sort of like this motion of stepping outside of the kind of thing that's going on, regardless of what it is, like incorporating it and moving past it. I do think normally when I'm modeling, I am in a much more defensive posture than when I'm just present and playing. I don't feel like I'm trying to update a model when I'm having normal, playful conversation with someone, you know? Can you be present and model at the same time? What do you mean by present in that case? Aware of what you're doing? I'm not sure. (laughs) So I'm thinking about a recent conversation with this happened. I was definitely aware of what I was doing, but I was doing it as a way to try to anticipate what is happening and prevent bad things from happening in the future conversation-wise. It was a very uncomfortable conversation. It it certainly wasn't like when I talk with my friends or with someone I'm excited about something with, where I'm sure I'm still building models of people subconsciously, but I don't think about it that way. I just think about like, what is fun stuff that we can say back and forth to entertain each other, you know, not not even thinking about it, just kind of like trying to riff, you know? I mean, that sounds fun. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I love doing it, but I'm certainly not building a model at the time. And I don't, I'm not sure if I could. I think it's too withdrawing to start building a model intentionally to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I don't think I can really, I'm I'm not very good at building models and staying present. Yeah, I'm I'm not even sure my models are really any good. (laughs) If I'm falling back on modeling, it means I've gone terribly wrong somewhere earlier. This is my theory about what's going on with high school circlers. Like, like, like I was saying, like talking about what's going on on the TV is like not something you should do when you're beginning circling. But my guess is that if when you're you're talking about something that's not what's going on, you stay in like very very close active content contact with like how you are in saying it, like the present experience, the sensation of saying it, like the sensation of your body when you say it, like what it means to you that you're saying it. Like if you can stay in like really close contact with that. Like, that's what circling is. And then you can talk about what's on TV. But I think it's very difficult. It's like a really nuanced thing. And it's really difficult to point out. And it's hard to practice that just from the get-go. Like, it's a lot easier to make the object of the thing that you're being present with, like, the actual present moment. 
if I'm going for my first time to a circling session with people who are experienced with it, what should I expect and be ready to do? I don't, I don't know, man. Like, just, just honestly report what's up for you. Okay. That's basically it. Like, it, it could be anything. And that can look like so much. It's difficult to point out what that looks like. And you're saying that it is amazing. I mean, it, it's interesting. Oh, I like interesting. Yeah, I like it. Sometimes it's like infuriating, but like it's still interesting. Ooh, infuriating how? Well, sometimes it's just like, like sometimes I'm in a circle with a bunch of people who like, I don't think are circling very well and I'm frustrated. I'm like, we came here to circle. You're not fucking circling. And then the whole circle, I have to sit with my my feelings about it. I'm like, ah, I noticed that like, I really am like wanting a thing. And then I just like sit and like kind of notice what it's like to want something and not get it. And to feel, oh, am I allowed to express this frustration or not? Like what is my relationship to like my confusion about expressing my my frustration, you know, so, oh, somebody just said something else is like fucking retarded. And now I'm like <laughs> angry. But now I'm like judging myself for being angry because I'm like, wow, if I were like really an enlightened being, like, I wouldn't be angry. And I'm like, wait, no, it's okay to be angry. And like, so it's like all of this stuff is just constantly going on in a terrible I'm circle so- where nobody's doing it right. And so like, even when it's a terrible circle, like I still get a really huge amount out of it. But you're thinking these things to yourself. You're not saying them out loud. I, so I often think them to myself and sometimes I say them out loud. It depends on how big the circle is. If the circle's really big, there's like often uh, it's hard to say anything. How has it gone when you have said those things out loud? Does it make the circle better? Very varying degrees. I unfortunately have like a sort of reputation for being like the shit stirrer in circle. <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm kind of annoyed with that at this point. Honestly, the last like big circle I went to, I I, I didn't go circling tonight, but the last one I went to, I just felt like frustrated because I'm like I've I felt like people were looking to me to be the person to like drop the truth bomb, like the uncomfortable, like I'm angry and mad truth bomb. And I was like, mad. I'm like, no, like I've done this too many times. You guys need to fucking stick up for yourselves. And like, that was the whole dynamic for me at that point. And then I was like, am I just like, is this just an out for me that I'm like feeling tired of doing this? Like, why am I actually annoyed that people expect this of me? And it was like a really interesting thing to explore. If I was doing that just to myself, I would totally be bored and feel like I'm masturbating, but it might be fun to do it with other people. Did you say any of those things out loud to people there? Don't I don't remember last time I did it. I, I have said things like this before to people, yes. And sometimes people get mad back and then sometimes there's just like tense and then inquiring. The thing is like usually the attention shifts pretty fast. Often I'll – if I get really like aggro in a circle, like maybe I'll get aggro at somebody – and then that person, like, and me will have, like, a really tense interaction. And then, like, a third, this will trigger a third person in the circle who, like, gets really upset about, like, one of the words that the other person used. And then they start, like, having a thing. And then the attention goes to that third person. And then, like, person number four is talking to them about their, anyway, it's like, the the the, the attention moves so fast. It's, like, really hard to describe as a coherent narrative. So are these more drama-filled than normal real-life interactions? Y- yes. I mean... Yes. These people getting it, together it, to talk about their feelings in a deeply intimate way, Inyash. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I don't know. It, I'm not sure if this is like, is this is a thing to do if you don't get enough drama in your life and you want more drama or what need is it fulfilling, the I, circling? I don't know if, if I necessarily say it's like drama. Maybe we should taboo that because I'd, I'd say it's more like emotionally, okay, it's emotionally challenging, but like, it's not like, oh man. And then Tiffany's boyfriend, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I imagine that, you know, if you're in a group of people who are honestly, honestly in touch with their feelings and honestly sharing them, there's going to be friction. And then if you yeah. if you can talk about that friction, then that then it's like, oh, now now there's a spotlight on it. 
And if that's drama, then sure. But it could just be like an emotionally engaging experience. Yeah. Having friction in circling has made me feel much more comfortable with having friction in person. Like not oh, not like, oh, I, I'm just going to be a jerk at you now. But like, it's helped me be less avoidant about expressing honestly the way things impact me sometimes. Before where I would sort of suppress it to myself, like, oh, it's not worth making a fuss over. And then it would like build resentment or it would like come out in other ways. It was really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And circling like helped me to be much more aware in the moment. And like, give me actually the tools to express it. Because like with circling, you get the, the practice of like actually entering into conflict with people based on your true rawest expression. And usually it comes out fine. Like I was shocked to find that like saying a thing, like the act of saying it transforms it so deeply. And before I'd been so afraid of saying things. And so now I just like sort of trust it. Like, oh, I notice I'm feeling tension and anger at someone in like normal life. And I just like trust it, fall into it. And I let it resolve itself. I just didn't know how much I could just fall into what I'm feeling and it will actually turn out to be okay in the end. Okay. So I was be- I was starting to worry, and maybe this is the whole autistic rationalist side of me, that like <laughs> there wasn't any point to talking about how we're feeling, but it sounds like it does a lot to give you the tools and skills to be more good or in real life. Yeah. For, for me, it was really it, – it translated to my real life very hugely. It really transformed me. Some people don't get a lot out of it, though. Like it really depends on the person. I think the analogy to psychedelic drugs is just having more and more points of contact here. You know, Inyash, you've certainly talked to people who've, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, who've taken psychedelics and be like, yeah, you know, not really for me. I had a weird time. I'm done. And then others who like get super into it. But like, if you ask what's the point of doing it, it's like, well, I don't know, man. It stretches your brain in a weird way for a day, you know? Yeah. But that doesn't know. mean I'm that, sure. you know, just because it's hard to pin down maybe in a few sentences, like what the... I don't know, utilizable outcome of it is doesn't make it a not valuable experience, you know? I'm not sure I've ever talked to anyone who's just like, eh, it's not for me. Like, it's always, from the people I've talked to anyway, a really interesting, unique thing that they've done. I guess I'm mindful of one guy that I talked to, and I invited him to join me one time, and he was like, no, nah, man, I've had my experiences. And that's all he would say. Oh, wow. That so, sounds like it was kind of intense, whatever happened. What, whatever it was, he also, you know, he wasn't a very, like, forthcoming guy, but I mean, we have a resident expert here. Am I am I missing the mark, or is this the not no, not the worst right. analogy in the world? It says it it feels pretty similar to psychedelics to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, feels a little like really good circles feel like being on a drug, and then when I leave circling, I feel like I'm coming down. It's really nice, huh? But yeah, it, it, some people don't get much off of psychedelics too. Some people, yeah, I was going to say, aren't responsive to MD- MDMA. So I wonder how crazy it would be if there was like a really high correlation of people who don't have reactions to MDMA that also can't get anything out of circling. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if there were a correlation. Be hard actually. to test, but that that would be really cool. You mentioned the thing what circle anywhere, but when I Google that, I'm not sure if the first result was actually relational meditation. Sure sounds like it might be, but this is like a multi month, you know, or yada yada. Thing. I'm sold on this to the point where I want to go give it a shot. What I imagine happens, or at least, you know, I don't know why I keep imagining. See, is this is this modeling? the verb where I keep trying to imagine point by point different parts of it. Should I just quit thinking about it and roll with it? I mean, you could just notice that you're modeling. You don't have to change what you are. Just notice what you're already doing. Well, I noticed that I'm, I'm speculating a lot. I don't actually, I, this is something that I caught on to years and years ago that I would do that. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It actually doesn't matter. Like anything that you happen to speculate, it won't actually change anything. So why don't you just table that? And when you get more information, then you can go back to the workbench and see what you can smashed together but for right now you're just spinning your wheels i suspect that there's a lot of 
awkwardness for people's first times, but that's probably expected. So, yeah, I wanted to make a point, which like maybe at the very beginning of talking about this, it, I thought it came up a little bit. I think people often have a conception of circling that you're supposed to go in to be really vulnerable. Like you're supposed to go in and like learn a lot about people or be open or answer the questions or bring your full self. But like, I mean, you are supposed to bring your full self, but often your full self can be not wanting to answer the questions or like wanting to shut down. If you go and you feel like really on guard and defensive and like you don't trust anybody there or their intentions and you do not want to show them anything about yourself, like that is circling too. Like there's no way to do it wrong. You just have to be present with yourself while you're defensive. I have one friend who we would regularly circle and almost every single circle he would lie down outside the circle with his eyes shut and not respond to anyone. The entire circle. Huh. Which, which very is circling. To take a nap. Like there's no wrong way to do it. <laughs> so I just wanted to like clarify that circling like isn't if there's like some feeling of like terror of vulnerability, like then then don't be vulnerable. Like there's no pressure to be anything other than what you are. Where does this usually happen? Where does what usually happen? Like circling, because I don't have any sort of picture in my head. I just see like a gymnasium or something, and it doesn't <laughs> sound very comfortable. Like <laughs> yoga studios or like office spaces where they have like chairs that you pull into a circle. Sometimes you sit on the floor. In Austin, okay. they have a studio, which is like a dedicated house thing. If you go to circleanywhere.com, it says multi-month leadership trainings, but that's just one of the many things they do. If you become a member, I think it's like a monthly thing. And then they have just like a schedule with a ton of Zoom events that you can join at any time. I was wondering, bring your whole self. I don't know what that means because I'm not sure how you can bring less than your whole self. Does that mean like don't hold back things that you would want to hold back? Or what does that mean? I would say like if you're tuning out, this would probably be not in the spirit of circling. Part of like circling is like commitment to connection. Like you, you're here to connect with the other people there. And even if you're not saying anything and being defensive, in not saying anything, in being defensive, in that you should connect with them. Like, ah, like when I am in presence with this other person, I notice I don't want to say anything, right? So it's not just like you're zoning out and thinking about like what you have for breakfast that day and like you happen to not be saying anything. It's like you're still present. Like you are in actively not saying anything, if that makes isn't, sense. Isn't that the default way that humans interact <laughs> when they are interacting consensually? I don't think so at all. I think what, what's the default way humans interact? Like I usually there's I think that like there's a lot of reliance on the social script. Like you're not really checking the script that's happening. I was recently hanging out with uh, some friends and acquaintances and new people and like somebody was kind of being awkward. The social script is like, ah, this person is like feeling weird and they might want to leave and we just like politely kind of like, we kind of pretend it's not happening. And it's sort of like internally you almost like avert your gaze a little bit. Yeah. Whereas in circling you would bring your gaze to it. You'd be like oh, I noticed this person is leaving and what's going on with that? I don't think that's a very good example, but there's there, but there's something about like paying active and really close attention. Generally, in real life, people do not pay very active and close attention to what's going on. I know that I I didn't. If you if you do as your general habit, like it's possible you're going to go to circling and be like, what, every, this is just the way I live all the time. But normally my mind sort of like skips over. I, I don't like actively practice like digging into I mean, the tiny minutia of the dynamics of what's going on quite that much. It, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm there to be with people, then yeah, I'm paying attention to them. That's that's why I was there. I spend most of my life not among people. And when I am among people, I want to really take them in, you know? It's like, I guess that maybe an example, like what if you're like talking with a friend, it's like kind of fast banter. And then like you make a joke and it like kind of vaguely seems like they're uncomfortable with that joke. 
most people would kind of just like kind of go on like, ah, all right. Okay. This is like a signal that you should probably shouldn't, you should steer away from that topic. And you just kind of yeah, like yeah. by default steer away from that topic. Like this seems like a normal way to interact. Right. Yeah. Like read the room. Oh, they're not good with, you know, dead baby jokes. Let's, let's move on to a right. different kind of joke. In circling, I would be like, oh, did that upset you? Right. Like, yeah. like would, you'd like bring it. Okay. I, I guess maybe I'm modeling this too hard, but I think it is like bringing a, a spotlight to these things rather than when, when you had said, uh, bring your whole self. I thought of like, I've made efforts over the last decade or so to be as few people as possible. It used to be, you know, visiting friends that I haven't seen since high school or something would be a very different experience than talking with a coworker or my parents or whatever. But I try to be, I've, I've been trying to like bring the same script with me everywhere kind of thing. Bring your whole self sounds like you're mindful of what script you brought. You definitely don't bring with you. I, I'm, I guess I'm talking to my future self, the same script I bring with me to like the average meetup, which is like, okay, well, let's whatever. Everyone introduce ourselves and take turns talking or, you know, Mm. whatever whatever i'm like no i'm gonna just kind of leave that aside and read the room instead rather than try and do like the usual thing for my own mind i'm gonna say there isn't a usual thing here yet maybe i'm trying to do too much before trying it (laughs) we got to do this yeah is it okay if steven and me go together even though we're both noobs (laughs) yeah go for it we can try circling now over online like without seeing each other or anything yeah it probably wouldn't be like as good actually i'm not sure sure i want to i'm getting kind of tired Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. But how did you feel when I brought up, when I suggested circling now? I like the idea and I'm excited about it, but also I am a bit wary about internet, internet conversations because, I mean, this is the best we can do when we're at remote, but I much prefer to be like physically present with someone where I can actually see their body language. And I don't know if I put much stock in like pheromones or smells or whatever, but I just think being in the same room makes a huge difference mm. for but, interaction. But how did you feel? <laughs> I felt anxious and surprised. <laughs> I felt excited, I guess, if, if I had to say anything. <laughs> excited, but a little bit wary about the yeah. practicalities. Like, like, kind of like not hopeful or something. Yeah, it would be cool to try, but yeah. who knows how it'll go. How did you feel, aside from tired? I also felt a little afraid. I was like, I want to circle. And I was like, oh, oh no, wait. <laughs> I just suggested a thing. I'm like, I'm not sure I actually want to do it. <laughs> you can just circle for like a few minutes, right? It doesn't have to be yeah. like this whole long, drawn out thing. Or does and- it? It's like a little bit of you're about to go for a long swim and you're like looking at the cold water and like and the sensation of pre-exhaustion a little. Like I had uh, a little bit, little bit of that sensation. Is the water always cold? Well, it's just no, but it's like like anticipating effort, I think. So it's always a lot of effort to go snorkeling. Like right now I'm not paying super close attention to the way that I'm feeling when talking to you guys. So that's not circling then if you aren't paying close attention to what you're feeling? Well, I would say it's not necessarily in the spirit. Like, I'm, I don't think the thing that I'm doing now is necessarily like very close to the heart of circling. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like I could feel it in my head. Like, it feels like I'm talking from almost my forehead in a way. And I just, I haven't checked in with the rest of my body. Although now that I'm saying it, I'm like by default checking in with the rest of my body, which is a little <laughs> infuriating. <laughs> What's the rest of your body saying? I think I'm like a little afraid, actually, in my stomach. Huh. Why? Or is that too much of a modely question? Well, it, it can. It depends on how I answer it. I'm trying to like see if there's like anything else in this interaction right now that's triggering like fear, or like, it's the thought of circling specifically. I'm not saying that like a thing is happening. I think okay. it's just a thing that seems like effortful, and you know, even things that are 
rewarding and you like doing, it's still there's like a sense of effort. We've been doing yoga for like between 20 and 40 minute sessions for most nights in the last week or so. And I hope we're going to keep doing them more. Every time I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, I guess we should. <laughs> I know I'll feel better after. Yeah. Um, but it's just the, the prospect of having to do something is exhausting. That's me. That's my general state. <laughs> well, this is activating some mischievous energy in me. Like when I was listening to you talk, which I agree with you, by the way, I think your description feels like very much like it characterizes my sensation. But like listening, I felt like a mischievous this, like, like I just like wanted to poke at you to like find the feelings in it or something. And now I'm like a little like sheepish. Like n- now I feel like I'm switching into this sort of investigating the sensations mode. I'm like, damn it. Is that not circling? S- switching and investigating sensations? Yeah. Yeah, that's circling. Or, or that is circling and you didn't want to circle. Yeah, it's just like it's creeping up on me, right? Because like once I start thinking about it, then I start paying attention and like to the present moment. It's like a pop quiz for emotional mindfulness. It's funny. I feel like the last three minutes have been like a, a mini. It, it, it's an honest exa- examination of internal feelings and expression of them. Why is it so energy draining? Is it a thing that just always goes on for a long time? Because if just for a few minutes, then it shouldn't be that bad, right? It takes work. I think I, I think I have some anticipation of something unpleasant. Oh, okay. I don't understand it. I don't like. I'm just like guessing, kind of, at my sensations. But maybe, okay. maybe some part of me believes that if we start circling, like I'm going to have a bad time. Oh well, in that case, we shouldn't. Maybe it's Pavlovian. We shouldn't. I wouldn't want you to have a bad time. Oh, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, I don't want anyone to have a bad time. I want to have if a bad people... time though. What? Why? That it's interesting. Okay, so it can be interesting, and I've had some very memorable bad times, which I don't regret, but I wouldn't not, – not, not only – okay, so maybe I would seek out bad times. I would do not want other people to associate me with bad times in their memories. Many of my, be- uh, many of my best times were like good you? times. Yes, exactly. I, I do not want people to not like me. Ah. Or, or even to you know feel associations of like, oh, you know – one out of 10 times that I hang out with Eniash, it's a bad time. So I don't want to do that. I'm like, no, please, everybody love me forever, you know? Yeah. Do you feel afraid that I might not like you? Um, hmm. In the abstract, yes. In this particular moment, it seems like things are going okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, now, now I'm feeling slightly self-conscious. No, why no, why no. all the laughter? No, sorry. It's just, I just like the way you said it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, it was like 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 like, a, like an, almost like a question like <laughs> like I just imagine you like sitting in the room like glancing around like like eyeing the corners <laughs> and it was just a funny image. I, I joked a second ago that like many of my best times are good times rather than bad times. Uh, <laughs> right. And so when when you said I want to have a bad time, the only time that I can think of like having that thought is like, all right, I'm going to sit down and watch this sad movie. I'm ready to have a miserable or not a miserable, but a an emotionally challenging 90 minutes or something, right? Um, I I but, did that with an acid trip one time. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I just want to be really depressed and really wallow in the aloneness of being completely alone in the universe. And I did that for a few hours. And I was like, this is absolutely awful. I'm going to go pop on my self-rescue playlist. And uh, then it got better. Hmm. And I don't think... I didn't admit to myself beforehand that's what I was doing, but looking back on it, I I knew I set up everything to end up that way, and yeah, yeah, it was a thing. It I, can be really useful. It. I don't know if I got something useful uh. out of it, but what have you like gotten useful out of an experience like that? Oh yeah, I, I mean this. It was. I, I love making myself feel horrible on acid. 
<laughs> I generally like feeling very good on acid. Also, that's great too. Yeah, I like feeling good most of the time. I, <laughs> I part part of that's funny to say, but I guess it, to me it's almost axiomatic. I meant to. I'm surprised I didn't ask you this before. With your famous experience with acid, did you have characteristically bad trips? Did you develop enough awareness of the state of being uh, of I guess tripping that I don't know you you never really lost side of the wheel? I think I had like the I've, I I had one trip that I would say was like a different kind of bad than others. Like it was more anxiety associated. But but besides that, I've had a lot of trips that were like constituted a lot of me like sobbing in pain on the floor for many hours. Jesus. But I wouldn't really consider those to be bad. Huh. Did you ever see the movie um, Annihilation? Yeah. Remember like that churning light pulsing thing in the basement of the lighthouse? Yeah. Like at the end? That's what the inside of my brain looks like when I'm on drugs. (laughs) <laughs> and when I had a bad trip and it, like it pulses to whatever music I'm listening to and the lights change and stuff. When I was on a bad trip, that thing was like barbed and thorny. And that's the only way I could Ooh. describe it. it. It made the, the experience of being in my head just pointy and uncomfortable, but like that is, you know, that's different than like, I probably had some stomach upset too or something. Right. But it, it was from the outside of such an insane thing to try and describe I wouldn't want to do that again unless like I knew I could turn it off. But that's part of the that's one of the downsides of psychedelics is you're kind of just like, well, this is going to be my day, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know it will turn off at the end of the day. It's not forever. See, that that's true. But and so that that helps when I can remember that. There are parts yeah. of the day when it's like I don't remember that I'm Steven and I took a drug, right? Yeah, I'm just there having the experience. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to reassure sure yourself with time when time no longer makes sense. Do you remember the times when you don't remember being Steven? I remember that they happened. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I think the second time I took them, I was like, all right, I'm going to try some of this. Like, I think I heard someone describe it, like have internal, I don't know, some some sort of deep conversation with nature that lasts an eternity or something. I I decided when I was going in, like, I'm going to try that. And then at the end of the day, I realized, okay, I don't remember trying to try that. I just remember that, you know, that those periods of selflessness, they just happen. They're not like, okay, I'm going to go do that for 30 minutes. It's just like, oh yeah, oh that that actually, yeah, I I can't remember when I'm when they when they wear off. Oh yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last half hour, sitting there watching the vibrating shapes in my brain. <laughs> um, Have you ever tried like a low dose of acid and circling at the same time? Oh yeah. Oh, you have. Wait, no, I've tried high doses of acid <laughs> while circling <laughs> and circling. Oh, holy shit! I didn't I I didn't realize that uh, high doses of acid and being coherent enough to circle were things that could mix. Dude, there was this one. <laughs> This one time I took acid and then I was on acid and then they asked me to lead the circle, which honestly, I think I killed at. <laughs> wow. I think probably smaller doses of acid would be way better for circling than high doses. I don't think I've ever actually done a small dose. I mean, I've done a dose high enough that it was hard to form coherent sentences. How do you how do you lead a circle on that? Well, you just cry. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Nice. It was okay. really interesting though. Like, I was so fucking out of my mind. I was sitting outside and it was like on a retreat and I was, but it was really interesting to be able to like watch my experience. And one interesting thing I remember from that is like one of my friends was crying and I remember staring, like I was like deep, it was very empathetic. Like I'm very connected with people on acid, very loving, but like I was watching him cry and noticing that I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel sad. I was just like watching him cry. And there was like little things like, should I feel guilty about this? Like am I a sociopath? But it, it was mostly just curiosity. And then, like, 
like he kind of stopped crying and then after he stopped crying then i felt like the grief like come upon me and then i started crying out of huh. it, was, it was really interesting it was just like like a delayed thing like but anyway that's how it was for me would you recommend doing acid and uh and circling then well if you like acid and circling then yes it's hard to properly circle when you're on acid because it's hard to know what's going on or like yeah. remember what happened 30 seconds ago I can see I that being a valuable experience, but like you said, I think if you've decided that you like both, then you know it's time to maybe if you feel like mixing them, then that's the time. But I, I'm definitely not going to take drugs on my first one. No, yeah, <laughs> probably not even on my fourth or fifth one. Although if I did, I'd be the only person I know who did. Well, you let's... could write a blog post. My very first time circling, I was high on acid. Yeah, I don't remember anything. End of post. <laughs> <laughs> The article that Stephen was reading mentioned something about like the circling taking hours at a time. Is that common? Depends. Like usually it's like one to two hours. Circling festivals can have longer sessions. If you're doing it with friends, like you can do it however long you want. What is a circling festival? They have circling festivals. Or at least they used to. I don't know how it is post-COVID. But it, they, I think they had them in Europe. You just go is for like a week every- and circle a lot. I'm sure there are people doing just- this at Burning Man, dude. There's got to be. But it's not just like people going a full week doing nothing but circling in mass groups of people no like from what i remember from the festival they had like talks about circling they had like like some like like workshops uh they had a bunch of different types like there's different types of circling i'm talking about certain leadership but you also have birthday circling they had um like certification circling where some people are getting certified and then they had to do like their their test circle where they would circle someone and like uh, inside of a crowd there was like a mask circle they had this one, it was the biggest circle I've ever been a part of, like 100 people or something, and it just devolved into chaos. Right. I think somebody got naked. <laughs> somebody was like like shouting and fighting in the corner. It was really cool. You mentioned birthday uh, versus organic. Which What's your preferred flavor and which one have you been talking about the most? Or was it both? Well, so, so, so also to be clear, I'm talking about a certain version of circling, which is circling Europe. There's also, um, fuck, I get them all mixed up. Guy Sangsock circling, which is like a much more structured form of circling, I think, uh, includes more like moderator attention. I have I've barely done any of it, so I'm not the person to talk about it. From what I've heard about it, I like it less. Um, the circling Europe style is kind of the wild, wild west of circling. Anyway, within the circling Europe style, there's a couple different forms. There's like the flow circling or call or surrender leadership. It's complicated, but that that's one concept, and it's kind of the anarchy that I've been describing. Um, they also have birthday circling, which is like a couple people circle around one person. And then the focus of the circle is to get their experience and get questions out of them. What does circling around one person mean? Like normally in certain leadership, you, the attention kind of moves wherever it wants. But with birthday circling, you sort of commit a little bit to have the attention stay on one person. So if you have a curiosity about somebody else in the circle, you might like not voice it unless it's about the person who's the birthday the birthday person. If we were doing a birthday circle, it would be just constantly asking Steven, so how do you feel about this? And how yeah. did that? Okay, okay. Yeah, basically. Have you done one of those as the birthday person? I have, yeah. It's been a long time. How though. is it? Is it good? I, not, I don't not, think not, I'm a very good person in a birthday circle because I'm not very coherent. Does the coherence matter for circling? I mean, uh, it, like, it, <laughs> it depends on what you want. I like to... I like to like, like, if you're trying to communicate with other people, it is important. And I like, I want to. But you miss not having other people to also circle around. And you want to get other people circled as well, so you can dive into them? The anarchy version is my preferred, yes. This sounds like something that could potentially, like, end up forming deep friendships, relationships out of. Has that been your experience? Uh, I know. 
No? Uh, I think I think this happens to people. Uh, but to me, I've usually taken pre-existing friends and then made a group to circle with them. Does it in deepen the friendship with the people that you do it with? Yeah, that sounds right. It's also very okay. good. It feels like a good like health maintaining thing because it helps like air out any grievances. Like I recently had sort of a ongoing tension with a friend that we just hadn't talked about. It wasn't a fight. It was like I anyway. It was an ongoing tension. I just like committed. Just I don't want to bring it up. Like it's just not worth it to go into it. It's just it'd be too much effort. It'd be like disruptive to like the other things that are happening in this event. And then like the circle happened, and the, I don't know. It was like some like magic of God. God's hand like reached down and like drew the conflict out of us somehow and it was great and then we ended up like immediately resolving it afterwards and i was like oh shit like just having this as a normal practice integrated into like my friendship life is like great for like continually actively turning things that like i might not have the attention or energy to otherwise oh man that sounds terrifying there's some things i wouldn't want to tell my friends well you don't have to okay fair enough then just don't so is this a thing that is always better done in a group? There's never like one-on-one circling? People one-on-one circle a lot, yeah. I think it's more commonly done in groups, and you can if you want. Is it something you would recommend for like people that are in romantic relationships? Yeah, definitely. How often? However often feels good to you. I, I okay. personally find that I don't often circle explicitly one-on-one in romantic relationships. It's more like a tool that I pull out to use as a supplementary thing for discussions. For discussions with your romantic partners yeah. or with but like all the time. Gen- okay. It's just like a tool in the oh. toolbox. It depends on who I'm with, but like, because I'm dating a couple of people, but it's usually integrated to some degree all the time. So even things that aren't like big emotional deals, just normal conversation, you pull this yeah. stuff out. Yeah. Like now I feel like I'm always like part of me is always, or at least more so than before, like tracking small discomforts or like small little things where before I would just sort of let them pass. And now I don't let them pass in my attention. Like even if I don't bring them up, I'm still like, tracking them much more vividly and how does that make you feel in your relationships great it's really good it's so good it makes me feel so much safer it's safer yeah because you feel you can no no wait because that's that's impugning motives why does it make you feel safer am i doing this right <laughs> wait what were you about to say like attributing motives are you yeah, trying yeah, not yeah. to t- think I, right now I was trying to do the thing that I naturally do where like I make a guess about what it is uh, that's motivating something and I put it out there and I see what the response is. And then I was like, wait, no, that's not circling. I just have to ask and let it be not influenced by me, right? Do you want to circle? No, no. I was just trying, trying it out, you know? You're like experimenting with a move. Yes. Okay. Okay. But when circling, it's very important not to try to give forward your own ex- explanations. Just ask other people what they're. Well, you can. Uh, you can make guesses. You just you have to be clear that they're your guesses. Okay. Guesses are, are recommended. Like I, I, I was in a circle and there was somebody who'd been circling for many, many, many years, and I was very impressed. Like one example is there was this girl who was sitting in the corner and she'd been quiet the whole circle. The leader like looks over at her and this girl like just chilling to me. Like to my eyes, she's just hanging out. She's like no big deal she's like kind of like you know passively watching people and then the circling leader was like it looks like you're about to cry like it looks like you're in deep pain which to my eyes not even and then the girl like just burst out into tears and was like yes (laughs) i was like how the fuck did you see that and my guess is just like if you've been doing this for years like you're encouraged to make guesses even if they're wildly incorrect you don't have to worry about like because like there's some like sort of ego thing associated with like making a correct guess like it means like ah you're very good at reading someone but mm-hmm. in a world where you're just like constantly throwing out shit 
Like you get to really rapidly check your intuitions and train them. Like we don't get to train our intuitions so fast in normal daily life. But here you're just like all the time like, hey, you kind of look like this to me. Is this true? And if it's not, yeah. then you kind of update and move on. But if you're doing this all the time and you're not afraid of being wrong, it, it can give people scary skill. And I watched like mm. very experienced circling leaders. I've been deeply impressed at the skills they had. I didn't know were possible for humans. I kind of like the guessing thing because it'll draw people out sometimes. This is like especially useful, it seems, with kids where you just make a wild guess. Like, so were you playing with a dinosaur just now, you know? And they're like, no, I was doing this and whatever. But uh, it, it seems to work with almost anyone where if you have a guess and it's wrong, they have to correct you. And that's <laughs> great and all. But then I also worry about like, but what if they don't entirely know what the thing is? And with my guess, I am now leading them in a way that could be completely off and uh being irresponsible were you worried about that when you were guessing about me or is this just like a general thing no just in general like Uh i i was just doing my guess thing like normal but in sometimes afterwards i'm like am i being am i being manipulative Hmm. like are you uh incepting the idea into them yeah maybe there has to be like a certain level of assumed autonomy just in in general conversation, actually, not even this particular context necessarily, right? That that's a worry, no matter what you're talking about with anybody. That's true. I'm I want a validation on my guess. I hope I'm right because it'll make me feel good. <laughs> when you're saying, you know, be uh, be honest about that that you're guessing, it's not just like saying my guess is this. It's also saying like knowing that in your head. I'm making an assumption here, not just like believing the thing that just came to mind. Yeah. Right? Now is more in the spirit of circling. Yeah. That sounds super valuable. You know, that, that's yeah, that's just like what is that, the fundamental attribution error. Mm-hmm. It's just like keeping that lens on on things to be like, all right, so don't just assume what comes to mind is you know true, especially when you're writing someone like you said, writing someone else's history for them or writing mm-hmm. writing their experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, when you're okay. circling, you could also bring up the fear that making a guess is going to prime them. That feels like it's bringing the attention back on you, though. When oftentimes. You want the attention to stay on the other person because if you keep bringing the attention back on you, then it's kind of obvious what you're doing, right? What are you doing? (laughs) Being an attention-seeking person, I guess. Which is bad? I have heard bad things about it, yes. Uh Uh-huh. It it seems to be thought of as bad in polite society. Uh, What if you're in rude society? (laughs) Oh, well, in that case, I just put on my leather jacket and bust out my smokes. <laughs> yeah. That's another fun thing to explore. You could be like, wow, really? I know. So like, if I were like genuine about what I'm saying, I would bring a lot of attention to myself. And I have a lot of ideas about how this is really bad. I'm like, fear of, afraid of being judged. Yeah. I think I'm going to have a great time. And I got to make some time to do this because this sounds awesome. And I was really not on board with this up until... I guess this conversation, I was still kind of thinking it was some kind of mystical religious thing I got to be worried about. I'm going to go ahead and render the prediction that just like with most things that have a component of, you know, emphasizing internal experience and stuff, that there are probably factions that are hugely into the whatever spiritual part of it, but that Mm. it's probably definitely possible to find secular, for lack of a better word, circles. Have you found a lot of like religious woo type things in the circling communities? Weirdly, no. Like, I mean, like maybe it's like slightly higher than average, but like I think if you gathered any sort of group of people like kind of interested in introspection, like there's going to be a degree of woo there. But like the woo itself isn't present in the practice, and if it is, you can be like fuck off. But I just I just (laughs) haven't really found it to to nearly even close the same degree 
as I have in like other hippie shit. Like it, it makes sense to be wary about circling. Like a lot of the things that look and smell like circling are like really terrible. And I think you're right to have an allergy to them. But not circling itself. It's been pretty solid. I think I think it's cool. All right. I just I just like I think it's cool because it doesn't feel like it's suppressive at all. Like all the other hippie shit feels like it's suppressive in one degree or another. It's suppressive in what way? Like the always have peace and vibes man kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's like like some subtle like even if they like say that they're accepting of pain, uh there's like mm. some basic frame somewhere deep inside that like if you are doing it right, you're going to feel good. Mm, and that orientation okay. is really damaging because that means like like somehow you're worth your success, how good you are, your rank in the group is like very subtly determined by how good you're feeling. Oh shit. Is that a thing in hippie circles? Extremely so, in my opinion. Ah, I, I mean, okay. this is kind of my kind of cynical like interpretation of what's going on. So I think like a lot of hippies in those circles would disagree, but I would I think that's what's going on. The only hippie circle I'm familiar with is my Burning Man camp, and now I'm like thinking back over all the interactions this year. Oh, they they might be fine. Burning Man's like I'm thinking of like ecstatic dance, post dance, uh, feedback circles, or like cacao ceremonies. Uh, okay. Or like crystal rituals. I once accidentally stumbled, found myself into an astrology reading group. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. How, how did you accidentally end up in an astrology the, the reading they, group? I think they described it as like being something else. Like I forget what it was, like a somatic movement thing. And then we got there, and it was just like holding hands, and they were talking about how the literally Mercury is in retrograde. They used that <laughs> phrase, and I just felt like my asshole like crawling back up into my body. <laughs> nice. How long were you stuck there before you were feeling comfortable enough to leave? Yeah, I think I think I I think I if I remember this hat was this is like four or five years ago, so I don't remember super well. But I think I just left early as soon as like there was a break in the circle. I'm sorry that happened. Me too. You mentioned ecstatic dance, which caught my attention because you just recently had a a thing where like people send me recommendations for songs to ecstatic dance to. What is ecstatic dance? Uh do you what do you normal dance at all? I don't know what normal dance means necessarily. I go to a goth club and in a goth club, no one cares what the fuck you're doing. So you just do whatever like the music wants you to do and it's great. But then like other people say dancing is something where you're like with someone else and doing steps. And I don't know what that is. (laughs) The thing you described sounds like ecstatic dance, the goth thing. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, cool. Well, I think like usually like the conception of like dancing is like you go to a club and usually the moves look something like you're shuffling back and forth and like maybe you're pumping your fists in the air or hopping a little bit. Um, okay. Like like if you go to a club where if you, somebody says, let's go dancing, and then you go to the place where they're dancing, usually the range of movement that people are performing is actually like extremely small. There's like a very yeah. narrow selection of what is like considered acceptable dancing at these places. Um, okay. Such that if you deviate from it, you'll generate attention. Whereas ecstatic dance is explicitly like wh- the thing that you said, like whatever the music tells you to do, you can try and so it can be like look very bizarre. Okay. Well, alrighty. Then I I guess that's kind of what I have always thought dancing just is. Oh, that's great. I, Wait, it makes me want to go to your goth club though. Oh, I mean if you're ever in Denver, I'll take you. I, I'm gonna be in Denver tomorrow. To tomorrow, tomorrow? Well, day after tomorrow, I guess. It's not quite past twelve. Well, fucking A. All right. We are going to have to text after this and get together for goth. I would night. like to go to that goth. Do I have to dress up as a goth? it's encouraged. Do you have black clothing? I can bring some. I'm packing right All now. Right. Screw I mean, the script. 
You do whatever you want. (laughs) I mean, literally, you can do whatever you want, but it's encouraged to not, like, you know, throw off the aesthetics too much. But yeah, black or black and red or black and white or, you know, you know, the traditional gothy look. Okay, I'm very interested. I'm going to visit some friends who are in Colorado Springs. So I'm like, my plane's getting in and then we're driving to Colorado Springs. But if I can convince them all to come out to goth night, that might be really fun. I I, like the way you described goth night sounds dope. Yeah, it's a great time. I, I see a lot of different people doing different things. There is some similarity between people, but okay, so here's the interesting thing. When I was at Burning Man, we found the uh Black Rock City Goth Club. And I I went there, I was doing my thing, and like someone came up. Uh no, not someone came up. When I went to the bar and get a drink, uh the person there asked me, So where are you from? And I was like, Denver. And he's like, Okay, okay, cool. And like he made a note of it or something. He's like, I've noticed that like goth scenes in various cities tend to like start having a a similar sort of dance set because like a few popular people are are other people are like okay i'm gonna do kind of more stuff like them and so when someone from a new place comes in i want to know where they're from because it's like obviously slightly distinctly different from Hmm. the you know people from other cities and i was like that is absolutely fascinating i had no idea it depends on how many people are there but it is widely varied Certainly not hopping up and down and waving your fist. Well, it's okay. I we, you, you can I I like to dance insane no matter where I am. Awesome. That sounds like fun because okay. hopping up and down waving fist can be fun for like, you know, a song or two, but I couldn't do that all night. Yeah, okay, you just send me the de- details after this. All right. Excellent. We'll do. All right. Well, this had like the coolest conclusion of any podcast we've ever done, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that when I sat down to record an hour and a half ago. <laughs> You guys have fun. I went. I, I go. I go to the club every five years just to confirm that I still don't really like them. And it's only been like four years since the last time I went. So this was fun. Thank you so much. And uh, this- I'll report back one way or another about how uh, how circling went. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna be curious to hear. But thank awesome. you so much. This was fun. Thanks again. Thank you too. We are recording the sequences separately today so that we will absolutely make sure we get to them. Yeah, and these ones, you know, they're fun, but I, I don't think there's anything that I would be like, oh, this was, I don't, I don't know if anyone, any one of the three of us read one of these and was like, oh, this is one of the ones that, you know, was really profound for me. The interesting thing, one of the interesting things about the sequences anyway is, uh, I, gosh, was it Scott Alexander? Somebody wrote about it many years afterwards. I go back and read them now, and a lot of them are like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's just common sense, duh. But I remember when I first read them, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing and mind-blowing. And it's interesting just how much you internalize these sorts of things over time. I, I don't know. I don't know if this counts as one of those, but you're right. They, they don't like stick out in the memory. Maybe that's a good meta point, though. You're right, because I have fairly vivid memories of reading these. Oh, God, like not quite 15 years ago, 10, 12. I didn't read them when they were brand new, like page turning and like, oh, my God, this is, you know, totally jamming with me. Like, I mm-hmm. never thought to put it this way. This is awesome. It's not like I don't think that they're great now, but it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm picking up. You know, I got you. It's kind of like my reaction to some of these. I think that just means that we're better at treading water now. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't understand the treading water metaphor. Uh, raising the sanity water line. Gotcha. Yeah. But, okay. I, I, I was going to... Torturing metaphors is a the, line. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> as long as it is a very good, solid torturing. Oh, yeah. Nothing like beating a dead horse. All right. <laughs> Let, let's not do that. We'll save that. Yes. Let's talk about absolute authority instead. All right. The unenlightened ones. So this is... <laughs> this. Some of these... I, I can't tell. Sometimes I think it's like fun. And other times I feel like patience is waning thin from Eliezer mm-hmm. where it's like, usually he's not so like Harry James Potter Evans Varus about talking <laughs> about people. Right. 
Mm-hmm. But he's like, oh, those unenlightened ones, those fucking morons. <laughs> <laughs> right. These absolute fools I have to deal with. Who thinks that there's, you know, authority and unauthority. Things that can be trusted, can be trusted, and that cannot be, that which cannot be trusted, you might as well throw away. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, you've seen this, the if not the full episode, at least the segment of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where Mac is explaining that science made us look like a bitch. <laughs> I do remember this, yeah. yes. I think, I think you've mentioned it on one or two occasions. I think about it most times, something like this. Come, anytime, basically, someone mentions, like, well, science changes its mind. <laughs> science made us look like a bitch again. <laughs> so, see, I guess it is still really relevant. I think one of the major things that changed with me is going from, you know, is moving to having probabilistic beliefs, right? Rather than thinking something is true or not. Thinking, like, well, you know, it's 70% chance this is going to happen. That kind of thing. You know... I think that that is a mental switch that doesn't flip all at once, but once it does, I don't know. I find myself much less incensed that, you know, people are wrong with a capital W. Um, Mm -hmm. I find myself less, uh, less inclined to die on any given hill because I'm not sure it's the right hill to die on. Right. Uh, Right. It's, it's, it's a way to be more flexible with what you believe, which is probably the right way to go. You know, like I'm pretty, pretty sure about a lot of stuff, but you know, I'm, I'm open to hearing about, alternatives most of the time you know yeah and and it makes you i i like to use this phrase that everybody has the right to be wrong because you know if i believe something with 70 percent certainty and they believe something with 30 percent certainty then i that cashes out to a wrong belief um overall but like we're at that point we're kind of talking more about percentages and what's more reasonable and you don't you don't get as upset you know yeah yeah i think I mean, I definitely pick as up- long as they aren't fucking with your life personally. Right. Yeah. I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down, but like, depending on what they're wrong about, you know, it's like, I don't want to say one has the right to their own opinion. I guess. Yeah. You know, you have the, the right to be wrong. I mean, I, I don't want to digress too hard on it, but I am kind of curious how that fleshes out. Cause like, how is that different than I guess from everyone has, everyone has the right to their own opinion. I, well, they do. And as long as that opinion doesn't affect my life, I could give a shit. I mean, I, I guess part of me is like, you know, I, I don't want to like say someone doesn't have the rights, but I, I do get like, you know, if someone really believes uh, that vaccines cause autism or even something like less harmful, like whatever, the earth is flat, like th- they are wrong. And I, I so I mm-hmm. guess, you know what, I guess I can meet this both ways. Like they're, they're allowed to have their own opinion. Totally. Like, I'm not going to say that they can't have that, but I'm also allowed to totally ignore it. Yes. Yeah. You know, okay. on, on certainly on some given subjects, anything that I have enough uncertainty about, you know, I'm curious about, right? Uh, yes. I'm pretty, pretty done looking into like whether or not vaccines cause autism. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, and whether or not the earth is they flat. Don't. Right, because they don't. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, what's something I'm, you know, uh, whatever, any, any given economic proposal or something, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have enough strong confidence in anything there to be like, no, I'm pretty positive that's wrong. I don't think I could really say that about most sensible propositions. So, yeah. All right. What do you say when someone has lived their life accustomed to certainty? Well, you can't just say to them science is probabilistic, just like all other knowledge, because then they're going to accept the first half, science is probabilistic, as a confession of guilt, and dismiss the second half, just like all other knowledge, <laughs> as f- a flailing attempt to excuse, uh, to accuse everyone else uh, to avoid judgment. Yeah, it's there's a there's a gap to cross there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned about switching to probabilistic thinking, and I just found the uh, the YouTube video 
uh, we should put this in the show notes. It's great. It's uh, like a three minute one from Julia Galef from like, I don't know, uh, nine years ago, it says, I feel like it's older. Um, but just how the switch from, um, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's like I said, three minutes, the switch from thinking in, you know, binary to, uh, probability mm-hmm. is, has that kind of profound effect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Eliezer, I think probably something to do is, as you know, the, the sign of the times of, you know, the, the atheist wars, but also growing up in a Orthodox Jewish family, but he says mm-hmm. he, he, has good reason here to bring up religion again. I suspect that the tr- traditional school regimen also has something to do with it. Oh, he's not talking about religion here. He's talking about school, which is basically religion. Uh, <laughs> the teacher tells you certain things and you have to believe them and you have to recite them back on the test. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're right. That is kind of like a religion there, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever, ha- do you have any memories of like distinctly calling a teacher out and being wrong? Um, no, I have, but I have vague much ones. like you, my episodic memory is not good. And specifically, I know you have this uh, incident that you remember. And if I had anything like that, I'm sure I would have remembered it. Oh, which incident are you thinking that I'm thinking of? Uh, the one where you called a teacher out and the teacher like refused to accept it and punished you. Oh, that was basically every time. I'm, I'm oh, trying to think okay. of like, I mean, the thing is, like, especially like, you know, the couple that I'm thinking of right now are like elementary school. And for the most part, those mm-hmm. teachers think, and to their defense, I probably was an impotent little shit. So like, you know, most of the time I talked up and, you know, argued with them, I was probably wrong. But, you know, like one of them was about like Canada geese. They, the teacher insisted that it was called Canadian geese. And I knew that they were wrong. And this oh. was like before we had internet in the house. And I didn't know that they weren't called Canadian geese. I think it's, I, I, I should double check. But I'm pretty sure the goose is colloquially referred to as the Canadian goose. Mm-hmm. This name may annoy some birders, and if it annoys them, it's because it's wrong. I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> cool. Go ahead and stick with that. So, um, very, very uh, good. All right, we did it. Uh, well, you are an absolute authority on this now. Yay! But <laughs> it was, you know, it was like some little thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can't argue with teachers; otherwise, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And actually, it doesn't matter right, right or wrong. Isn't the goal there? It's it's what's on the test, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this just for a second. Eliezer says, unfortunately, you cannot just blurt out foolish mortal. The quantitative way is beyond your comprehension. And be- the beliefs you lightly name certain are less assured than the least of our mighty hypotheses. And, like, can't we, though? Because <laughs> as long as you don't care about convincing someone of something, you can, right? I think that he's uh, astutely aware that we do actually want to convince people and win hearts and minds, right? Like, otherwise, you're just like those kind of sneering pastors that used to go to, you know, college campuses and would nods, you know, with that kind of not sarcastic smile, but, you know, like that, that fake pitying yeah. smile, like, oh, if only you got it, you poor sinner, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, we don't want to be like them, right? So, we could I, call them foolish mortals, you know, you guys are being fucking morons, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you can back it up, which we can. I mean- I guess we don't want to be like them, but I I still remember one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality was when some kid came over to bitch at Harry about something he did wrong or like he was friends with Draco Malfoy or something. And Harry holds his hand like two inches off the ground and says, you have to be at least this smart to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's I wish I had done that so much because sometimes people just aren't fucking worth the trouble. I think we all like. I think, I think there's a part of a lot of us that clap when he does that, right? Mm-hmm. The downside is that that kid did not leave receptive to the, to receive the good word of Bayes, right? That's true. He, he might have been shut <laughs> off from that harder than he needed to be for longer than he needed to be. 
Yeah. But you don't have infinite patience or infinite time, you know? Right. Um, So, you know, maybe there's a nice way to shut people down. But it was funny. It was. (laughs) Okay. But he does actually give some really good suggestions for what you can say, like, in front of an audience, uh, if we are trying to win hearts and minds. And I thought these were actually really good. Uh, One of them was the power of science comes from having the ability to change our minds and admit we're wrong. If you've never admitted you're wrong, it doesn't mean you've made fewer mistakes. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah, no, you made the same number of mistakes either way. It's just like, did you own up to them and do better, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says, anyone can say they're absolutely certain. It's a bit harder to never, ever make any mistakes. Scientists understand the difference, so they don't say they're absolutely certain. That's all. Yeah. Scientists don't use the phrase, not absolutely certain, the way you're used to from regular conversation. It means the scientist is willing to see the evidence in the extremely unlikely event that you have it. Again, brilliant. Awesome stuff. Yeah. You know, the downside too, this is kind of like, you know, with Harry is maybe not every individual scientist is this receptive, but in their defense, also like Harry, they probably get, you know, inundated with a lot of bullshit. You know, I remember hearing, you know, from like, uh, at least Carl Sagan that, uh, like I said, like I know him personally, Carl Sagan said once somewhere that I heard later, um, that if you're a professor at a college, you're just, you're used to getting mail from people who are like, look, I've, I've got the correct theory of physics. Oh, right. And it's just like. At some point, you like you don't. It's not your job, and you don't have the time or the crayons to explain to everybody, you know, why they're wrong. Right? He didn't yeah. say that. That was me paraphrasing. But yes, <laughs> this one was my favorite, and this was one I wish that I'd remembered back in the day when I was arguing with with religious people. But would you be willing to change your mind about things you call certain if you saw enough evidence? I mean, suppose that God Himself descended from the clouds and told told you that your whole religion was true except for the virgin birth. If that would change your mind, you can't say you're absolutely certain of the virgin birth. Oh, like I, I wish I, I would love to see what the what that would have looked like delivering that as a sincere question to a religious person back in the day. Yeah, right. Yeah, if I if I could find a religious person now, I'd ask them. But I don't think I've seen one in five years. So I think they would just say they're absolutely certain God would never do that. God wouldn't lie, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, but if he did, but he wouldn't. You know, all right. Yeah. Well, I I literally can't think of how to argue with that. So, yeah. Um, let's see the. What was this? Oh, yeah. The most interesting question. Uh, this is again from the post. The most interesting question is what you say to someone not in front of an audience. How do you begin the long process of teaching someone to live in a universe without certainty? Which actually is kind of hard, especially if you want to flip that switch, because that certainty is very reassuring. Yeah. You know, I I think that, uh, and this is, yeah, you know, we're going to go through a few of the bullet points he lays out, but I think just like what worked for what would work for I don't know maybe it might work but I maybe have seen work is just like explain to them like you actually do all the time right mm-hmm. like you know every every little thing in your life you know it's you ha- you have a prior assumption about the likelihood of it like do you do a sixteen point inspection on your car every time you start it do you do a sixty point inspection do you do you even check anything no right <laughs> like right there, there's a non zero chance that when you start your car there'll be like you know a kitten sleeping on the engine block right. Mm-hmm. And if you really cared about cats, should you pop the hood every time? Like mm-hmm. the odds of it though are so low that you don't bother. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. actually matter. This is, I think a sticking point for a lot of people is they wonder like, well, where do you, where do you get the prior? Like what's the actual number? And where, why do you, why do you pick that instead of some other? And the, the answer is it doesn't actually matter. Right. Mm-hmm. You have some, some feel, which if you want to be mathy about it, you can attach a number to, and then, you know, plug and chug through the basis theorem and get what your expected outcome would be. But like, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, are you going to buy fire insurance for your house or not? 
like you actually have to make a decision. Like, do you think a fire is likely enough to be worth 20 bucks a month or however much it mm-hmm. is? Right. Mm-hmm. Like th- this is, this is an actual thing that you have to actually pick, pick your mind on. Right. Yeah. I, I guess a lot of people just don't though. They just see that everybody else is buying fire insurance. And so they do it too. That's not a bad heuristic yeah. you know, for something like that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes there's whatever, there's good reasons to go gets the herd. Right. Yes. Like not buying stupid insurance from Best Buy for your computer. Yes. That's, that's a great one. Right. Home, mm-hmm. home, home insurance for stuff. Totally. Um, buying the whatever, insuring a, a video game disc you bought from, from GameStop. <laughs> get fucked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, he does point out that like one of the hard things is getting people to understand that, uh, even if hypothetically speaking, they couldn't be absolutely certain of anything, it would not deprive them of the ability to make moral or factual distinctions, which I think is a thing that a lot of people do worry about for some reason. Yeah. Cause if the, I can't be sure things, then yeah. any, any given guess is just as good. Yeah. I think is the, is the concern there. Right. Right. Uh, but again, as, as is the case, like, you know, with various insurances, like, no, they're not, you can yeah. have uncertain knowledge of relativity or excuse me, of relatively better, and relatively worse options and still choose. It should be routine, in fact, not something to get all dramatic about. (laughs) (laughs) The fallacy of the argument from Gray. Mm -hmm. And he has this thing, I really like this because uh, it points out that we're awesome, where he says there's this entire rationalist subculture which says that doubt, questioning, and confession of error are not terrible, shameful things. And I think that's a good thing that all cultures should have because you are wrong about things sometimes and you have a right to be wrong but also it shouldn't be a terrible shameful thing to be wrong then and uh and to update and become less wrong hey that's the name of the thing it is i like things that make us look good Um. (laughs) me too that's why i always use filters on my pictures perfect when you look at things harder sometimes you find out that they're different from what you thought they were at first glance but it doesn't mean that nature lied to you or that you should give up on seeing right exactly that, that's a good way to put it uh like yeah yes yeah, everyone's been through that like oh man i could have sworn that was over there right mm-hmm. and it's like oh it's not well i guess my eyes are useless said no <laughs> one ever right right why do i even bother with this looking at stuff they're not going to just like walk into traffic because they can't be sure that that's not a car right yeah yeah Ooh, this next thing is really, uh, man, it's even something that like I had trouble with for a long time, even still do, I guess, to some small extent nowadays, probability isn't the same concept as the little progress bar in your head that measures your emotional commitment to an idea. Um, honestly, I think there could be a whole several sequence posts about that and maybe there is, but I I think that's a good one because emotional commitment to an idea is not... And should not be the same thing as how likely you think something is to be true. I honestly, I try to do this thing and there's no doubt I'm, I'm uh, far from perfect at it, but I, I, I think I'm better than I used to be. But if I, if I find myself like really passionate about something or like really agreeing with something that I'm reading, I try to eviscerate it. Right. Hmm. I'm like, so if, if I'm, if I'm nodding along, I'm like, oh yeah, this makes sense. This is so right. Then I'm like, okay, hold on. Let me just try to look at this the other way or like try to be as, uh, like nitpicky with this as possible. Um, when was the last time you did that? Do you remember? I'm sure I could just skim through my Reddit feed or something, but like it, this was more back in the days. The cool thing about the last few years is that is I haven't felt any pressure to follow politics. Um, mm. But you know, four or five years ago I did. 
And uh, if there was something that you know made the other side look bad, I'd be like, right. yeah, you're damn right. Of course they would do, do this stupid, terrible thing. In fact, yeah. I do this all the time now. Whenever I see a headline or something, I will like go to the comments. Uh, and it's usually on Reddit. It's the only place I ever see news if it makes it past all my cat subreddits. Um, and I'll be like, okay, hold on. What's the actual story here? Right? Right. And uh, it's it's usually like, hey, look, you know, somewhere like in the single, you know, the double digits number of comments while the, like the ones of thousands are at the top where it's like, hey, look, let's not like actually make shit up. This is this is different than, you know, what we're presenting here. There's enough bad shit that we can point at without just making shit up. Yeah, uh, I I follow Yassin Merkut now, the guy who used to do the the, uh, the Mott uh, podcast. Or was it the Bailey? No, it's the Bailey podcast. Uh, but he, he he recently, again, made the point that there is a surprising amount of alpha in just Googling shit. Like, do you see a claim? Just Google it. And a lot of the times you'll be like, huh, turns out, you know, that's total bullshit or has, a, has quite a bit of ex- extra details that were not passed along. And that's always the case. You know, headlines are going to be succinct or whatever, but like sometimes it, the headline is totally different from what actually happened. Uh, yeah, but and that's, Googling shit is extra work. Yeah, you know, it, it's getting to be less and less, though. Now you can just highlight text with your with your thumb and click search Google, right? That's true. Uh, sometimes you don't have to take, copy and paste depending on what app you're using. Uh, it's also becoming less useful, though. That's what I was going to ask about. Like, I wonder, you know, if you did live in a filter bubble, like where all of the Google searches were QAnon, whatever, something, something uh, like do your, do your results actually come back that tainted or does Google try to say, stay somewhat neutral? I don't actually have uh, an idea. I mean, it's, it, it's not just that it's tainted. It's also that a lot of the stuff you try to search for is just useless for what you want nowadays. Like you, you want to learn how to change your oil or something. I don't know. And it does gets the entire pages of you know here's top 10 secret tricks they don't want you to know about changing your oil and it's spam for this brand of oil or something i have this insane like this is one of the things that just grinds my gears like so i've got this, like this most of the example i've got this electric blanket and i actually have two of them and two different connectors and like they both have the same receiver and none of them work um uh, okay. like they worked once now they don't and i don't know where where they're broken or whatever and so i like google how to repair blanket brand name and all of like the first page Google is cut and paste on different websites of the same shit, Ugh. like the same bullet points. It is copy pasted. And I'm like, who is going through the trouble? I see this on like uh, coding problems too. like uh, people go to like grab the stack overflow post, like the top rated one and just post it to their own blog Lame. and it's or like to their own crappy website. I'm like, why did you bother to do this? Who is this for? Anyway, so like, as you can tell, I get incensed by that. But mm-hmm. luckily, my emotional commitment to how dumb of an idea that is isn't, uh, you know, something I have a, a, like a strong probability belief in. This is just like this is, you know, my probability, my, my belief there is this is stupid and a waste of people's time. I'm pretty sure in that. And that does have to correlate with my feelings on it. <laughs> Maybe yes. I should be worried. Maybe that is somehow super valuable for people. <laughs> <laughs> that, All right. I, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. So if you say that something is 99.999% probable, it means that you think you could make 1 million equally strong independent statements one after the other over the course of a solid year and be wrong on average once. And, you know, I I don't know the last time I said I was 99.9999% confident in something, mm-hmm. but like colloquially, people obviously don't mean it that way, right? Right. They mean like, just just look at how people use the like the the phrase like 
I think, I believe, I'm pretty sure, I'm confident yeah. that, and this is true, right? Like, I, I, would, I would prefer to say something like, I am absolutely certain in the same way that, you know, <laughs> the, that uh, it means that I'm willing to see evidence in the extremely unlikely event you have it, but barring that, uh, you're not, you're not going to make me think the opposite. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you're talking amongst people, uh, you know, to use the parlance of this post, amongst enlightened folks such as ourselves, we can use the shorthand of certain, right? Yeah. Because we know that we both mean, you know, the asterisk next. We we both know the asterisk next to the word. Um, yeah. As certain as one can reasonably be. Right. Like, I'm certain enough that the sun will rise tomorrow, the way, you know, right where it's supposed to, that I will bet my, you know, my home, my my bank accounts, my genitals, right? Against your <laughs> right. 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, but And expect to get a 20 bucks out of that. Yeah, totally. Really easily. Yeah. All right. How does this one wrap up here? Um, to prevent public misunderstanding, maybe scientists should go around saying we are not infinitely certain rather than we are not certain. The latter case in ordinary discourse suggests you know some specific reason for doubt. And uh, I like that phrasing. That it would be good if they did do that instead. Me too. And, you know, I, I got to think, it's been a while since I've read popular science books or anything, but I feel like this is how they started talking. Um, you know, certainly the ones that were like, you know, in the new atheist stuff, like uh, Richard Dawkins wrote that nice book on evolution. Um, well, you know, at, well after the God delusion. And I'm sure that he used the phrase, you know, not infinitely certain or something. Oh, or And like cool. Sam Harris talks like that too. But, you know, he, he my favorite example that he has is like, uh, you know, Sure, we can't be absolutely certain of all of the truths that we know about how evolution works or whatever, but let's be real. What are the odds we're going to wake up tomorrow and learn that genes have nothing to do with heredity? Right. Right? It, there's, yeah. there's no way we're just totally off the mark there. Yeah. Now, of course, there's a way that we could be, right? There's a number of ways. Mm -hmm. the, the, mm -hmm. the overlords of the matrix are an extreme example, right? Yeah. But let's be real, right? Yeah. If, if we're going to be real. Um, we can, we can, we can be pretty sure. And sure enough, you know, again, to, to bet the farm on it. Yeah. You might say yeah, we I have... prefer not infinitely certain because that sounds more, more like the sort of mathematical precision that people are expecting or trying to get, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. Near infinite certainty. Yes. Speaking of infinite certainty. Hey. That is the next blog post. It's like that was on purpose. Or the next sequence. Yes. Uh, where Eliezer says the light speed limit may be simply always and absolutely true, but whether we can have absolute confidence in the light speed limit is another question because the map is not the territory. Uh, as an example, he says, if you flip a coin and don't look at it, it may be completely true that it's showing heads and you may be completely unsure of whether it's showing heads or tails. A degree of uncertainty is not the same as a degree of truth or a frequency of occurrence. I think the map is not the territory is one of those things that like eventually got tattooed to the inside of my skull. Mm -hmm. And once it did, like that actually does kind of, that's similar to like that huge mental shift as thinking in probabilities rather than thinking in a sliding scale rather than in yes and no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probabilities are never in, in the environment. They are always in the mind. Yeah. And like, that's the thing that like now I look at local like, well, duh, but like that is, that was super profound. It, it, I can still remember, you know, why it was and how much that stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. That was a really good one. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that that was, you know, an original Yudkowskyism, but he definitely popularized it to uh, a good number of people. Yeah. Uh, all right. If I say I'm 99% confident that 2 plus 2 equals 4, my confidence is that the proposition 2 plus 2 equals 4 is always 
always and exactly true, not the, not the, not the proposition, goddamn, that two plus two equals four is usually and mostly true. Right. Uh, It's true in 99% of cases. Yeah. I mean, it's not, so like, that's the thing is like, I'm not saying that if we do this a hundred times, I'll be, it'll be another number on average once. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's, I think part of this is just like, there's a difference between like, how do I talk to quote unquote regular people? And how do I talk to people who are deliberately going to try to like misunderstand me? Yeah. Cause if it's, if it's the, if it's the latter, you just can't win. Right. They're going to, they're going to hinge on the, the, the caveat of like, well, I can't be sure two, two plus two equals four. Ha. Huh, you hear that? Listen to this moron. He thinks two plus two is five. Um, yeah. You know, if you're arguing with somebody uncharitable, like there is just no winning. You're just, it's just a time sink. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're, if you're trying to just get across the, the concept of people who are receptive to it, you know, that that's a different, different game. I don't know. I don't know why he uses the 99% thing here. I guess maybe he just, works in a different way mentally than i do because i wouldn't even bother with a number like that i would just say i'm confident and if anyone really pressed me on it i'd be like i'm not infinitely certain because infinite certainty is stupid but uh yeah i'm i'm confident for all practical purposes i wouldn't say like 99 percent because i think i can make 100 other statements similar to this one and be wrong in 90 uh be right 99 times out of 100 which is what he goes on to say afterwards I mean, because, I, could, I could do that if I wanted to waste someone's time. One plus yeah, one is right. two. One plus two is three. One plus three is four, right? But, well, he said that those uh, do not count because they all hinge on the same underlying axiom, the same underlying base. Like, mm-hmm. you'd have to make separate statements that are not related to the first one that are you're equally confident of. Mm. All right. Well, like, if, he's gonna, if, he's gonna, just, if he's going to draw me out of that box, then yeah, fine. <laughs> It could be a hard time just thinking of a hundred different statements like that, you know? I remember thinking of this and it was, was it was this poster, the last one where there was the line that like, if you asked a hundred people to write down a hundred things that they're 99% certain on, uh, but you think that, you know, you're going to find a hundred wrong answers, uh, at, you know, total? No, it's going to be more, no. right? Yeah. Um, like, and then I was trying to think of like, what would I even say? I couldn't, I don't know what I'd put on a list of like things a hundred percent, you know, that I'm absolutely certain of. Uh, and mm-hmm. not, not because like I'm so good at thinking in probabilities or whatever, just because if I have to rule out things like I can only use math once, um, mm-hmm. then like, you know, the sun only counts as once. Probably that rules mm-hmm. out statements about the moon. Um, yep, yep. Like I, I, I'm, I'm quickly running out of things, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I could make a probability statement. I won't win the lottery. Yeah. But you can't, you can't buy a hundred lottery, t- lottery tickets and say all of these are losers, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh. Um, he, he, yeah, he says, if you say you have 99.99999 confidence, you're implying you could make 1 million equally fraught statements, one after the other, and be wrong on average about once. That's about a solid year's worth of talking if you can make one assertion every 20 seconds and you talk for 16 hours a day. So I guess he's saying don't say you have that kind of confidence, which, okay, fair, fair enough, I guess. But that's also not how, uh, how I would rate confidences. Yeah, I mean... I guess this actually raises the question, who is this post for? Like, is it is it that for is... aspiring rationalists to be like, hey, look, if we're going to like establish a, a, a parlance of talking, we should probably avoid using phrases like, I'm 99.9999% sure. Maybe. I, I always, I mean, in the background of all the sequence posts is that this is for people who are trying to create a math, a god using math. And so that's part of it. Um, that's a good point. So I guess, you know, and, you know, people who are making uh 
robots out of math, um, or what well, you know what I'm trying to say, who are making yeah. robots and or making gods out of math, are the kind of people who might say, you know, down to four significant digits how certain they are and stuff, right? Or or program something to think down to four significant digits, uh, but doing it not quite correctly. Right. And even more worrisome is the possibility they might program something to have either zero or one as a uh, as a certainty estimate, because uh, it turns out you can't you can't change those. No matter what you multiply by zero, it stays zero. Uh, so uh, as who is this Rafal Smigdrodsky? I don't know actually know who that is. Uh, says at the near the bottom of this post, once I assign a probability of one to a proposition, I can never undo it. No matter what I see or learn, I have to reject everything that disagrees with the axiom. I don't like the idea of not being able to change my mind ever. So I, I think it is more than anything an imploration to, uh, if you are actually thinking with literal math, like a computer program might, uh, don't ever assign a probability of zero or one to anything, no matter how absolutely true it is, because then you you can never, ever change it. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, to the extent that you're not writing a, a computer, but uh, running your own brain, like, keep this admonishment in mind for yourself. Like, if you're absolutely sure on something and you're going to say, I know this for certainty, then that means, again, you can't admit the possibility of like, oh, shit, you know, looks like I was mistaken. Because mm-hmm. um, you can't be mistaken because you were, you had probability of one, right? Yeah. Well, although brains are squishy and don't work like that. Right. So, you know, try not to do that to your brain. Um, right. Now, granted, that just means that you just did it wrong. You're right, but uh, like you assigned the wrong probability, which is fine. You should be allowed to do that, but try not to think in those terms. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Our sequence posts for next time are zero and one are not probabilities. Hmm. I wonder if I jumped the gun here. <laughs> and uh, and also beautiful math. Yeah. Uh, this uh, this quote, I'm guessing, is just expounded upon in the next post. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Steven, we almost forgot to do one of the most important things of every single episode. I know. We will record late into the night for our listeners, and we will uh, record across multiple days to, to deliver what we can. Absolutely. Even if it How? means recording so late that we for- almost slips our mind, like you said, to do the most important part of the day. Which is thanking the patron. That's right. This week, we would like to thank William Weyer as our patron. Huzzah, William. High five. Steven, how does this make you feel? I'm trying to pay attention to that. I, it's the same sort of sensations every time. An odd, like, whatever, butterflies sensation, like sheepish. Yeah. The, the fact that people pay for this still surprises me, but it is nevertheless immensely appreciated. Uh, it really not is. Not like surprises because I, I think it sucks, just surprises that, like, anyone cares that much. And as, as people are wont to say, money is the unit of caring, so. Yeah. I always feel very... Like a combination of happy and also embarrassed, I guess. Because you you said sheepish, kind of embarrassed, same kind of thing, right? Like I I'm I'm so flattered that people are actually willing to help support this sort of thing and feel like it's worth a dollar or two every month. That's that's exactly it. All right. Well, thank you very much, William Weyer. We will continue to interrogate how we talk to others and uh, with ourselves. We hope that this has been useful for you and for you know v- various other people who also listen to the podcast and are coasting by. We have links to the Patreon in the show notes for anybody else who would like to get in on this. We're on thebasingconspiracy.com. Yeah, we also have merch, which we haven't plugged in a long time. It's in every episode description, the link to it. But I got a new phone a couple of months ago for the first time in five years and bought a new iPhone case with... Oh, wait. I looked at the Beijing Conspiracy one. I got another, I got another one. 
<gasps> yeah. Now I feel betrayed. But I have had an Asian conspiracy iPhone case, and it is sexy. So I forgot that we had a merch store. Me too. I should go up there and update it with a few new things. Yeah, I need I need a I need a new mug. So gonna grab me a mug. It's for you to drink your coffee out of while you're listening to our podcast while driving to work or walking upstairs to work or whatever. Don't drink a don't drink out of a mug while driving. <laughs> <laughs> you can I I often do. I drink like the first third before I leave the house, and then after that, the rest of the two thirds is fine. I have cups with lids. Yeah, I mean that that works even better. But uh, unless you're driving in the outback somewhere, you should be okay. Most roads are straight enough clear enough uncluttered enough that a two-thirds full mug is fine all right i'm going to send you the clip of uh the always it's always sunny in philadelphia actually it's the same one that was mentioned earlier in the episode where the evol- or, uh, scientists make us look like a bitch uh <laughs> the reason that they're litigating that well they're having like a whole court case and it's because danny devito rear ends dennis at a stoplight while he's eating cereal <laughs> awesome. and the question is whose fault is it that the interior is ruined from getting milk everywhere okay the answer is obviously you know frank danny devito right but right. they, they sit and litigate it because they're, they're nut jobs. So, all right. Fun show. Well, fun show, okay, fun time. Thanks. We look forward to talking to you guys again in a couple of weeks. Hell yeah. Uh, peace out. Bye.